This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek Podcast. Today we're going to review Star Trek Picard episode 208 called Mercy. But as always, we're going to start with the news. And this time we have something from the Junket interviews that you did, Tony, with the stars of Strange New Worlds, starting with Rebecca Romaine, who plays number one. You know, whenever a show's about to premiere, they do one of these junkets. This time it was virtual. And so I talked to the whole cast and uh, it was fun. And uh, we've put up the Rebecca one so far. We'll be kind of sparsing these out. They are generally spoiler free. Um, they're allowing a, there's no embargo on these. So you're not really allowed to talk about anything super spoilery, although Rebecca does mention, she elaborates on something she mentioned a long time ago, which is that there's this kind of thing about number one that she refers to as a a secret. And we find out about this in episode three, and it's kind of why she keeps people at a distance, she says. And is so focused on her work, right? Yes, yes. Which I think tries to give you like a little bit of, you know, old school number one, because all we knew about the other one was, you know, the Majel Barrett one was just work, job, work, not a lot of emotion. Right. In fact, that was my question to her was, yeah, you know, she's talked about how they've got a blank slate. And I said, well, you know, but there was a little bit, you know, so what is the little bit you're carrying over? And that's the little bit. She's saying this kind of obsessive focus and number one or una chin riley is obsessed with their job and no one loves starfleet more than she does i think i love starfleet more than she does <laughs> <laughs> there's a character that we've talked about called lon noonien singh who's the security chief and she does reveal a bit about how there's a special relationship between the two of them and how lon's kind of a protege to her so there's a kind of a mentor mentee relationship between these two and she feels protective you know we've talked about how lon has a tragic childhood of course which yeah i think that's kind (laughs) of a given that's going to be a an interesting dynamic on the show for this character one of the things that she said that i of course love is that she talks about um moms wanting to introduce their kids to star trek because you see curiosity when you look into your child's eyes And she said that a lot of fans have said to her, you know, my mom introduced me to Star Trek. And not only do I love that as someone whose mom introduced them to Star Trek, because it was totally my mom who would just sit there and watch it be like, come on. Um, But it was also, you know, I I'm trying with my kids. I get glimmers, not really, but I totally get where she's coming from. I think there's some kind of a bigger thing here where, there's a great message there about moms and daughters, but I think something that's going to be important for the show is I feel like this is going to be a more family friendly show than say discovery or Picard. Well, neither one of those is family friendly. So, I mean, you wouldn't watch. And by that, I just mean you wouldn't watch with little kids. No, but I think even, you know, older, you know, like preteens and even early teens, I think this show is going to be, I don't expect a lot, if any, swear words, maybe an S word every once in a while, but that's kind of common on regular TV now. There's no one going to say sheer fucking hubris, you know, on this show, I don't think. Right. Although, you know, I never think that's a big issue with kids because I think they're hearing all that language everywhere anyway. You know, it's more their very adult themes on those other shows. So next week, we'll go over all of the other interviews with anson and ethan and the whole gang they're all there (laughs) they're also all over the new york subway which is super cool um i was down in um i was in the city and i went to union square station and it's just they did the same thing for picard like it's completely decked out the pillars the walls video ads moving video ads it's huge and you can't it's a big it's a hub station downtown um and and it's everywhere like along these long hallways and every time you turn so uh some of the pictures are up on trek movie social some are up on my personal social um and they're just they just did a really great job with them and they're also doing outdoor in la you know i don't know how extensive this is nationwide but uh there definitely is 
a big promotional campaign going for this. The show, by the time this podcast drops, will it will be less than two weeks, amazingly it's, enough. It's amazing. Yeah, it's just really come up on us. And they're doing a, a red carpet premiere in New York that I will be going to and doing interviews on the red carpet and screenings uh, in a movie theater, which is pretty cool, as well as there's a big exhibit um, at the Paley Center here. Can you see the premiere at the Paley Center before the 5th? Yes, they are doing something. I believe it's May 1st that there will be a screening of the premiere. Hmm. I mean, I'm not going to do that because, um, you know, I have access to see it <laughs> otherwise. Yes. Um, Full disclosure, Lori and I have seen the first few episodes we have to for doing these interviews but there's an embargo, but we are going to do an early review of the show on May 1st when that embargo lifts and then the normal kind of full on recap review on May 5th, the day of the premiere. But they're definitely going all in on this, which should be fun. It's going to be a big show for them, I think. Also, by the way, we talked about this last week. There was a panel in Chicago the full report from that panel is up on trekmovie.com for Strange New Worlds, and there's a lot more details in there. And there's also more reports from the Prodigy panel and uh, something from Will Wheaton. And so, you know, just check out all the panel's uh, reports at Trek Movie from Mission Chicago. But that reporting is pretty much wrapped up now. Yeah, I'm looking forward to you uh, doing the Will Wheaton write-up. I'm curious about that one. So we actually... We have a little bit of news uh, from the Oroville, a little something, something, um, which is it's still going to, the new season is still going to premiere on June 2nd, and they gave us a poster. <laughs> the poster is just a bunch of ships forming the Planetary Union logo, but maybe the ships themselves could give us an indication of what's coming. There's a Moglin ship, a Krill ship, a couple of Kalon ships, a couple of... Union ships, of course. Um, the tagline is new home, new missions. The other news of the week for the Orville is, came from Deadline. And it's kind of a double-barreled thing. So Seth MacFarlane is developing this another show based on his movie Ted for Peacock. Because he has this big deal with NBC Universal, And they just signed uh, Scott Grimes from the Orville to be one of the series regulars. And the deadline followed that up by saying there's no currently work being done on a fourth season of the Orville. And all of the actors were released from their contracts or their op, you know, so basically if Hulu wants a fourth season, if, if this new season, which they're calling new horizons does well, they're going to have to work out some logistics to get everyone back together again. So it's not that it won't happen, but it's just not as easy for it to happen. Right. As it normally would. I wonder if they do. I mean, if it does really well for them, maybe they do a movie or like a TV, you know, a streaming movie or something. Yeah, that's also a possibility. So that just so that people didn't have to commit to a whole series. See, I mean, that's the thing about Seth is Seth is so involved in the show. He stars in the show. He basically runs the writer's room, really. So he acts as the showrunner. He's heavily involved in post-production. So it takes two years out of his life to make one season. Yeah. And he's got this mega deal with NBC Universal, who don't care about the Orville, right? So he can't really do it on the side. No. <laughs> Not and have the level of involvement that is really important to him. I mean, this this show is his baby. Yeah, and I don't see him, like, you know, for other shows, like Family Guy and American Dad, etc. He, he hands them off to other people. He may still do voices. I just don't see him starring in a show where he's not writing and, you know, running the writer's room and just that involved because it's so important to him uh, for the Orville. I don't think yeah, he would that, do that. I agree. But yeah, a shorter miniseries movie, you know, three years from now, who knows? But don't plan on a new season of the show next year in 2023 right. is what at I the, think. Yeah, at the minimum, that's not happening. 
Right, right, because they're not shooting it now. So you know, right, it's it's, but it hasn't been canceled either. You know, it's in that kind right. of zone. And they built all these gorgeous new sets. Yeah. So hopefully, yeah, I'd hate to see them just one season and that's it. But we don't know. There's a little bit of I wouldn't call this news, but just an update on a Star Trek project that we've been talking about. I think we first broke the news about this, which was called SETI Alpha 5. It was a Nicholas Meyer project that he put together back in like 2017 when he was working on Discovery. Briefly. Briefly. (laughs) So Nicholas Meyer has been put in the last couple of weeks, has been putting these little videos on his social media. He's kind of answering fan questions. Um, so they're short. It's not like a podcast. It's just these little short videos. And he did one on what would he want to do in Star Trek? And he said, well, the thing I want to do is the thing I did do, which is I wrote this mini series, which he said he thought came out really well, but he never heard from anybody after he wrote it. So they basically ghosted him four years ago. Imagine ghosting Nicholas Meyer. Yeah. <laughs> And it's not because of the rights issues, because the movies and the TV shows are all owned by the same company now. So it's something else. And I mean, one thing for sure is the world of streaming has changed. The idea of doing an expensive miniseries of three episodes seems unrealistic because this has kind of become a bit of a talked about issue in the media about how all of these streaming shows are often too long for their own premises, but that streaming companies want at least eight or 10 episodes for a season. So if this were to ever happen, which I don't think it would, they're not going to do a three episode thing. No, I mean, it's, you know, that's like, there was an era where you could do those things on networks and they were event television. Yeah. And that era has passed really. I mean, his, you know, his story was about Khan's, Time on SETI Alpha 5, which to me, that's not the most interesting part of Khan's story to me. That's for sure. I mean, it's a starting point. I'm sure there's interesting things that could happen between him and the other augments and infighting and drama and maybe, mm. you know, maybe some aliens show up or who knows, you know. But the- wouldn't you rather see maybe Khan's rise to power and then exile? Like that to me is more interesting. Yeah, that certainly would be. Although that gets into the weird murky waters of when did that exactly happen? Was yeah. it in the 1990s? You know, apparently it wasn't because I don't remember it happening. I do. <laughs> Regard <laughs> Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I have a secret to tell you about myself. Oh, never mind. <laughs> so, check out the art. There's some other videos he talks about Spock dying and his experiences with what he learned from Star Trek and other stuff and he'll be probably doing more of these so fault you know he's now more interesting to follow on twitter and instagram because he's starting to do these little snippets the one about spock is kind of funny because he says what he thinks and then he sort of starts to say that he was wrong but then kind of doesn't really give it to you <laughs> you'll see but- when you watch it he well that's the thing about him is he doesn't <laughs> like to admit he's wrong and he doesn't like to change history. I mean, this is the guy that said, once you do something, it's art. He doesn't believe in director's editions. You know, once it's right. out there, it's out there. You, He's kind of a no regrets kind of guy, I think. Well, I do kind of envy that. Like, I was just telling someone, like, if I could go into every website I've ever had an article on and go and edit it, I would. <laughs> every day. <laughs> and, you know, and he, look, he's a brilliant, talented guy. So... I guess he's more entitled to that attitude than I am. We have a quick update on Star Trek The Motion Picture, uh, the new director's edition in 4K. It's on Paramount Plus now, but it's going to be in theaters in May, and they've added a date. So now it's Sunday the 22nd, Monday the 23rd, and Wednesday the 25th. And it's been uh, explained that, you know, I'm not going to get into the tech, but this isn't going to be using kind of a cheapo way sometimes Fathom uses. They're doing this the right way so when you see it it'll be in the best possible resolution and now i saw it on the big screen it's worth seeing on the big screen it, it'll it just blow you away and hearing it too so check it out yeah i'm really excited i can't wait to go 
Oh, that's right. You're going with Brian, right? I'm going with Brian. Perfect movie companion for the motion picture. Speaking of Brian, he and the Shuttlepod crew recently recorded their thoughts on the streaming version, and that's going to be released this week's on Shuttlepod, so that should be on the website. And in your shuttle pod feed, your trekmovie.com podcast network feed. Cool. All right. So are we ready for our review? Yes. Star Trek Picard, episode 208, Mercy. So what's your, what are your top level thoughts? Well, like the last few episodes, it's another let's run around LA. Let's, you know, juggle five stories at the same time. You know, so it's just as frustrating, but this one is better. I feel it feels like at least... The stories all led to kind of action at the end. You know, they seem to all be going in one direction. I did like the very simple interrogation storyline very much. You know, it's just kind of old school, you know, you know, like law and order kind of situation with Patrick Stewart and Jay Carnes. So, you know, I liked it, but I still feel like, you know, I'm kind of done with L.A. and, you know, we know we've got another, at least another episode in L.A. And I'm like, for God's sakes, get back into space. But uh, it, it was it was fine. What do you think? Yeah. So my I mean, I do think it's a little better than last than the last couple. So that was good. I, I it's inching forward. It's still s- slower than I would like it to be. And especially with Q, I'm like, just tell me it's time. I just want to know. We learned the thing we learned about Q. We kind of always we've all known for a while anyway. Um, but I also did like the interrogation scenes a lot. I thought those were well done. A few moments, but that I had questions about that didn't connect for me. But I thought those were well done. And I liked the turnaround. You know, <laughs> like I debated with myself about the whole like with Wells Who's, who suddenly becomes their new friend at the end. Um, and I thought, well, that's kind of cheesy. No, I like it. So I, I I was a little embarrassed for liking it. How's that? I kind of wish he is their new friend. I'm, I'm a little worried. I, I get the sense that that's it. He's done. Because I was talking about one of the best things about these fish out of water stories that they've done in Star Trek is usually you end up having to deal with a local and eventually get them onto your side. You're, you're Rain Robinson's of this world, of, you know, that, you know, and he certainly started more antagonistic than she did, but he did help them. But then it seems to be, and he's going to leave. Like, that's it. He's fired. He's going to go home to his sad life. No, but Picard says, I need your help. I don't think he's done. It remains to be seen for the next episode. Hopefully he's back. I actually haven't seen the next episode yet. So, um yeah, I haven't either. I just so you know listeners, even if we have more than one, I never watch ahead. I only watch the one that we're talking about. And then it's the minute, usually the night that we record the podcast, that's when I go and watch the next one because I can't wait one more second. <laughs> um I I hope he's back next week. If you know, but I think he was an interesting character, you know, a little cliched Fox Moldery perhaps. Yep. I think that the acting was great in those scenes. And uh, so it was worth the trip, as it were. I didn't feel like they were wasting our time. I was a little worried last week when he showed up. I'm like, oh, God, this is just a, a distraction to kind of, you know. Like lock them up and have them have to break out and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, which they didn't do that. There were a few things like I was I thought Guinan's Twin Peaks moment was sort of weird. I'm just going to call it a Twin Peaks moment. Oh, when she when she can spectral, you know, uh, you know, project herself into but the. Gives, ep- but it's all glitchy and it gives her a bloody nose. But it really felt right out of Twin Peaks. Like, again, another genre crossing for me that just it just didn't feel like something that her species can do that we knew about. And it felt a little not so star trek i mean not that you couldn't have someone doing that it just didn't it didn't quite fit for me although what i did like was the message that she wanted picard to get and that she as a someone who listens had tapped into this guy really early on 
in the interrogation. Right. I mean, Guinan's true superpower, her bartender superpower, is that she can kind of suss people out, which she showed in this episode. From the very beginning, she starts immediately. She's saying, you don't seem like the interrogation guy. What's your what's your deal? Yeah. And she sussed out Q as well. Um, yes. And uh, although she did, it, it, it's hard to catch, but she used the jazz hands too, briefly. Oh, <laughs> to set both sense him and sense his kind of emptiness, his hollowness, as it were. Right, right. I have a a cue question. Go You're ahead. You're good at these headcanon things, so maybe you can help me out with this. So Q has no powers. So how? So, but he suddenly got an FBI jacket, and he's walking around, and people are letting him in and letting him open locked doors. Or is there nobody else there? What's going on there? Well, he, he's infinitely smart. And he's definitely has shown he has tech abilities because we haven't talked about this, but he shows that he hacked himself into Corey's uh, or the Sung system. So one can assume that he hacked himself into the FBI and basically created an identity for himself to allow himself entry and to, you know, figure out where Picard was. Cause obviously this is a black site. Right. And, you know, grabbed himself a windbreaker. I would have liked to have seen a little bit of that. Like, just a little bit of him, you know, bluffing his way through would have been fun. But since episode four-ish, when his fingers snapped and nothing happened, he has not used a Q power. He's done things, you know, he created the vial and, you know, he's shown up at places, but it's all been just old school. Which And the thing that we're not seeing is... That means that Q is driving around LA. Like, like, what kind of car does he have? I know. Is, I he, have so many... is, he, is he using Uber? You know, and if so, is he using Uber Black? You know, and I know I have so many questions about how, <laughs> how he gets around. Kind of how everybody's getting around. Right. Um, but now, yes, what does Q do when he's stuck in LA traffic? It just must drive him crazy. <laughs> what does he listen to? <laughs> What's on his playlist? Yeah. We should have a whole episode of just the mundane life of Q in Los Angeles being human. And in fact, he says something at the end. I think he is essentially human. And he said he kind of implies he's a human and he has a lifetime. So I think maybe he's I mean, maybe he is going to die at the end of the season, which I've always thought is what's happening. But, you know, but basically he's just the age he is. He's the age of John Delancey. Right. I mean, look, the one new piece of information that we did get about him that we didn't know was that he did not plan for Picard to go into the past. Yeah, see, that's, yeah, this is where I start falling apart because I'm like, okay, so he definitely caused the problem in the past. I mean, he wanted to create the alternate timeline so that he could teach Picard a lesson, right? So yeah, he so, so he did, did that. Then Picard so what did he think Picard was going to do? Of course Picard's going to go back in time to try to fix it. I mean that's what Star Trek captains do, you know. I mean it's kind of it's instinctual. And also now we're getting into some weird predestination paradox stuff because two things. One is the Jay Carnes character, the 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 Wells Agent Wells character because he had his experience with the Vulcans which turned him against aliens, which led him to being obsessed with people, which led him to Picard and Guinan, but then eventually led him to let them go. And he kind of said that was his destiny to let them go. Right. So that was predestined. And now it looks like the Borg queen is the one who created the Adam Sung future. Right. The, (laughs) The Borg queen was captured from that future after they had already been moved to that timeline. So that's very funky timey wimey. I can't, I haven't diagrammed that one out yet of how that makes any sense. Yeah. I was kind of counting on you, Tony. (laughs) Sorry. I'm at a loss for that one because it's like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense because how did they, because other see, see in other fixed timeline scenarios, Think of, um, God, I'm going to go old school on you. Final countdown, right? Do you remember that? Kirk nope. Douglas. Kirk, okay. Well, 
So there's, I didn't you know, see it. <laughs> there's these time travel movies where you go where you go back in time, and then when you go go back, you go back in time. Then you, when you go back to the future, you meet a character, and you realize that character was like from the past that he was always there that the past happened the way it was supposed to happen. You know what I mean? So all of the, all of this time travel stuff was meant to happen. Not only did it happen, but it always happened. Right. Right. Which is a little bit problematic already. Yes. But that doesn't make sense here because they were in an alternate timeline. Right. Because once you jump to that, then it didn't always happen, obviously. And what did he expect Picard to do when he's in this terrible alternate timeline is figure out how this happened and fix it. Yeah, as you're saying, we're eight episodes in and we still don't fully get what his true motivation is. Right. And I'm fine with Picard not knowing it yet, but it's definitely past time for us to know it. I think the most important line he said was, can a single life redeem a lifetime? Agreed. So he's looking for redemption. And now is that his redemption or Picard's redemption? We don't know. I think it's his redemption. I mean, Picard, let's be honest, doesn't really need redemption. Picard's done more than his fair share. And so if this is a trial, he says the trap is immaterial. It's the escape that counts. So he's looking to see how Picard sorts it out. Right. But he could be talking about anything when he says the trap, because it's like the trap of Picard's past, the trap of where he is now. Right. Is is this still all about the fact that Picard is afraid to say I love you to <laughs> um, Laris? Laris. Sorry, I'm getting my I was about to say Talon, but I'm like, nope, not Talon. I Laris. wanted to say Dr. Crusher myself, but that's another <laughs> story. I have to wait for next season for that. Yeah, exactly. God, now that I, you just brought up an interesting point, though. So we know season three, spoiler alert, is, you know, Dr. Crusher's back. So if he ends the season solving his problem and in love with Laris, then what does he do with Laris when Dr. Crusher shows up? It's like, hey, here's, you know, here's my new girlfriend. I mean, that's well, she, maybe she's with somebody else already. Fair enough. She's so, not waiting. She's not sitting around waiting. I'm sure she's not. I'm yeah. sure she's not. She's found someone to tap dance with. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. We're we're all over the place. I know. Thread. Well, this episode kind of was. So there are two other stories going on at the same time that we want to talk about. So let's talk Aren't there about three other stories. There's three actually, right? So let's talk about the board queen kind of ties a couple of them together. Right. So again, I really am so interested in spending some time with the Agnes Borg Queen combo, which we're not. I assume we will next week, based on what happened this week, but we didn't get enough time. Also, she managed to pick up some combat boots along the way. Maybe it was from the guy she killed. I yeah, I, I do miss. Well, I guess because she's now the Borg Queen is driving, totally. so we don't get the the kind of weird thing where where she has her, you know, imaginary friend. There is no, but I thought we might've gotten the reverse, you know, where right. we would see the imaginary Jurati friend trying right. to talk struggling, to trying, yeah. maybe not being successful, obviously not being successful, but trying. And somehow she did. She was able to stop the queen from killing Rafi. Right. Which they just d- deduced later. Um, right. That would have been, I just, again, there are things I want to see and we're not seeing them. And I would have liked to have seen, you know, I would have liked to have seen her wrestling with that and her facial expressions. Like she's a really, Alison Pan was really talented. And I feel like she could convey a whole lot with her face. She's doing a great job of sounding like the Borg Queen, of sounding like Annie Worshing. She's really good at it. But I would have liked to have seen sort of more, more of her. Yeah, she's a whole different character this all this episode for sure. She's eating batteries, she's jumping yeah. over things. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole thing of like the batteries and the lithium, they were adding stuff to the Borg lore that apparently they use these metals to as some kind of way to as a catalyst to help with Yeah, like to prepare of, the body or make the body able to withstand more nanoprobes. The nanoprobes or something. Yeah. What's unclear here is 
somehow she was able to assimilate Gerardi, but Gerardi wasn't able to assimilate anyone until the end of this episode because she was eating batteries. That was the, you know, she, she, it took her time to build up to the ability to assimilate. But then Um, we've gotten the warning from seven that it might not go well, that it's going to be kind of screwy. Right. There'll be like crappy assimilations. So (laughs) I hope we get to see what that looks like. By the way, there was something that was supposed to be clever. So when she shows up at Sung's house, right. And they wrote this line for her. I assume a lecture on the futility of resistance is not going to be necessary. Now that would have been a great line to say to somebody who knew what she was talking about. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) I'm like, in this case, yeah, it could help. She she does it again, too. She says, who's in the mood to add a little of their biological and technological distinctiveness to my own or something like that? And again, on, it's lost on the people that she's talking to. <laughs> yeah. And also, can I just I need some more Tony logic. Okay. I'm sorry I'm relying on you very heavily in this episode. I'll do what um, I can. How does Sung get a special forces unit exactly? Like, isn't he disgraced? I mean, I know that he's a donor to the Europa mission and he could get like a special VIP tour. But how do you get like a special forces unit sent over to your house? Here's what I think is that Sung is essentially a kind of disgraced Elon Musk. He's massively wealthy. Right. He has, he owns a very, you know, very large technology company. I think, you know, we saw stuff on the vials that said Sung technologies or something i forget the name of the company yeah and his house is very impressive you know and and we've seen the technologies around his house become the technologies of the future the the hexagram you know the hexagon patterns and the shields so so yeah so he has this big technology company he's not a crank academic scientist guy he is a industrialist guy right right and he has which means so these are just mercenaries. Well, but it, so if you assume that, then and he all, previously they talked about his work on with soldiers. So he had military contracts, we could assume, and therefore he had relationships with generals. And there's probably generals in his back pocket who don't care that he's evil. And uh, you know, for a million bucks, he'll send over some mercenaries. And probably the general is probably an ex-general who works for this right. this kind of blackwater like mercenary outfit. I knew I could count on you, Tony. Now he didn't tell them that I'm going to convert these guys into, you know, cybernetic drones and they're probably all going to die. That that little piece of information was kept back from the general, obviously. Which I mean, right. And also we know he has a history of experimenting on soldiers without their knowledge or permission. Yeah. Because that was one of the big issues with him before. And also, he didn't know they were going to be assimilated, I assume. I think the Queen probably briefed him on well, again, what, what she's wouldn't up to. That have, wouldn't that have been interesting to see? Wouldn't that have been a conversation worth listening to? Well, she said, do you have any moral problems? And he basically said, you know, what do you want? I, I'll give you anything. You know, so he's basically Agreed, said, like, I have no morals. I'm, again, I just I, I am constantly feeling like there's there are missing scenes that I would like to see. Some of the some of the connective tissue is should be there that isn't just for me. I want more if I'm if you're going to show me these things, then some and and not necessarily because I don't understand them. But because I think it's it could be very intriguing. Because I think it would make good scenes. I agree. Getting back to the Rafi and Seven storyline, I think they are doing a good job of weaving their relationship into the storyline where like in between scanning for things and searching for things, they have these talks about their relationship, but it isn't too clunky. And what I did like about this one is we finally get why she's obsessed with Elnor. Yes. And you know, and why it's affecting her more than anyone else, and she was basic. She basically guilted him into, guilted him into staying in Starfleet at the academy, and therefore he ended up dying. De- yeah, he would have been off with the space nuns when the Borg attacked in Episode One. We also saw that their relationship was pretty close. Yeah, just their their banter was. 
you know, people who know each other really well. And then the stuff with her in seven, um, at least this time it was more about what they were doing. Like I didn't like last week when seven was doing things and Rafi was talking about coffee, but this week it was more Rafi's actually trying to use seven's talents. And then that becomes a source of contention. And then they finally sort of come to the right place where they're realizing that, yeah, seven does have useful knowledge and Rafi's supporting her. So I, that was a good shift. I thought. Whereas the Rio storyline, again, he's <laughs> basically just in love with this woman. And it's like, there's all these horrible things happening around him, but he's eating cake on the ship and, you know, flirting. And I mean, it's, is it sweet? Is it romantic? Maybe, but. Well, it got a little weird at one point. <laughs> oh, her whole little, like, imagine we're married and that. that yeah. What thing. was that? I mean, well, I get what she's saying is. I need to hear, you know, we don't have a lot of time together. I need you to tell me something so profound. It would have been profound to me, even if I had knew, known you for 10 years. Right. I, I kind of get that. It was, it was, but it was clunky. And yeah, uh, it was clunky. I, I, again, I totally and he never got a chance in- to tell her. Right. I, <laughs> I got the intention thoroughly, but I also thought it was funny. Like she was, you know, she has the woes of a, of a single mom and really of any parent who constantly worries about like, what am I I'm messing up my kid? And this has been a theme with her for a while where she's like, Oh, I sh- shouldn't expose my kid to this. And all of that I get and certainly relate to. But if you are concerned about your kid and your kid orders four pieces of cake, like, <laughs> no, say no, take three of them away. <laughs> That's what well, she had one and Rio had one. So he sure. got two. And then he got it. And then he got an upset stomach. Should have taken one away. It also reminded me of all those very fussy replicators we've seen that ask all these questions and need to specify things. And this one, he just said four cakes and he got four perfect slices of four different kinds of cake. Right. I mean, that, I that was, was a good replicator because it, it should have given you four of the exact same cake. Whole and cakes. full cakes. He didn't yeah. say four pieces of cake. It's such a stupid thing to get hung up on, but there have been so many scenes where someone's trying to order something from the replicator and it asks a lot of questions. Well, but you, you could imagine that he's programmed that replicator to not bother him because, as yep. we know, he, he's very impatient. I still feel like the only way that this makes any sense is if he's staying. Agreed. This has got to be because what's or she dies in some sacrifice, but like that was I, feel the other like, thing. I was like, she can't die because she's a single mom. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to kill her. They're not going to kill the kid, obviously. So, right. so he's staying. I mean, there's things that are becoming obvious. He's staying. Agnes is the Borg Queen at the in the first episode. Yep. She's not actually evil. She's, at that point, she's right. some kind of weird hybrid of good and evil. But we still don't know what Q is really up to. Right. But he's going he's gonna to die at the end of this. The, the, you know, there's going right. to be a scene, and he's going to die. And he, although the Borg Queen took over, he started the path for Sung of driving him into this, you know, craziness and power-hungry loneliness by driving the daughter, who's not the daughter, the creation, away. And then, I I mean, I didn't really understand what the whole deal was with the headset that Corey put on. Yeah, like, why why did... Why did he need that? Right, so he hired Sung to help him with Picard. Then at some point he programmed Sung's technology to turn his daughter against him. Why? When? How? Um, Was it because he failed in his mission to stop? Is this some kind of revenge plot? Like why did, why did, because he, you know, Q doesn't have a lot of time left. So, when and why did he do this? Well, this was the first thing that pushed Sung over the edge, right? So the one little scrap of humanity that Sung had was hurt. Like he did genuinely care about her. Right, but... And now he really doesn't. Now he has no attachments that he cares about. But So, so you're saying the queen is part of Q's plan? I don't know if it's part of... It's, they're both happening. But I don't see how the queen could be part of Q's plan if he didn't plan for Picard to go back into the past. Well, but he's been improvising for the last few episodes. Right. But so, did he even I don't even know how he knew that all that was happening if he's not if he has no Q powers. So those are just some a few holes. 
Yeah. As well as the fact that Sung actually wanted to find a way for Corey to be able to go outside. Yeah. So that to me seemed seemed to be contradictory because now she seems to think he wanted to keep her inside as a prisoner forever, but he wanted her to be out. So I don't know where that came from. And I don't think I'm betting this is not going to make sense in the end. I, I don't, I, I just bet you this, this, they don't land this plane, this one element where how this all fits together. Right. They've only got two episodes to tie it up and I just don't see it happening. So, you know, prepare. And then also to- just on a practical level, like she left and she, not only does she not have any money, she doesn't have any shoes. Yeah, and this is, by the way, she's like, they live in what looks like Malibu. There's nowhere to go if you're in this like beautiful house in in Malibu. They don't even, this is literally, they don't have sidewalks there because no one walks. Right. There's no public transportation because everyone's got like five SUVs, but no one walks. So, and no shoes. I just was very disturbed by the no shoes thing. Yeah. I wonder if we'll (laughs) see her again. I assume probably. I should hope so. (laughs) And I also thought it was funny. There was a little echo of last season because she gets a box that some weird smoke comes out of. Yes. And I thought, oh, not again. And I, I, you know, they're paralleling certain things, but I, I'm worried about what you just said, because I agree with you that I'm not sure we're going to get a whole thing about why. And honestly, last season, part of my issue with, Soji and Daj was we didn't I didn't really ever know why they were sent out into the world and not told who they were like what was the who did that and why we never really found out right no no right it's, so not, yeah yeah the, the the I mean and they admit the funny thing is they admitted that Akiva admitted later like yeah you know we didn't tie everything together right and yeah, the, the smart thing to do is to plan things out better at the beginning. And they had plenty of time to do that this time because they had the pandemic. And we know they kind of went in one direction and then changed things. Maybe the, their first concept of season two did all tie together. And then they changed everything at the last minute. And now it won't. Is I'm betting that's what happened, actually. Yeah, I don't know. But I don't really see that piece of it getting tied up i agree with you but at least they were talking about renee picard again they brought her up again this wells guy was smart like he was putting pieces together fast yeah he figured out who picard was he figured out he was you know at this thing and he want he is tied to the europa mission and he got the he somehow got a transcript of what rio said to the cop in the cage yeah which which was again and a little bit in contrast to him saying i think of him like a father because <laughs> he said he was like an old robot <laughs> yeah well i look you, you, you can have contradictory opinions absolutely yes you can um but yeah i don't know what that was but at least we're we now know that like renee the thing that Renee finds negates Sung's work. Yes. Well, this gets to some bigger stuff about Earth because we know that World War Three happens, but I think they just are forgetting that because the the implication here is that the Europa mission happens, they come back, and somehow something she discovers. There was maybe that thing about a um, a species that she thought was sentient. Is a red yes. herring, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it. Cleans, I think it wasn't. Cleans, maybe it cleans the atmosphere. Maybe it's these like microbes they release and they go into the ocean and they somehow they get into the atmosphere and they clean the atmosphere. You know, they solve global warming. That would be nice. Um, can they come now? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I definitely that is somehow connected. I feel like I don't know enough about Sung's other research to know exactly how that ties in, but it is somehow connected that it's going to, that without that discovery, Sung rises to power. But why does the world revere him as the kind of anti-alien guy? Right. No, you know, if he, if his technology builds a wall around the planet, I guess this comes down to, do they change first contact perhaps? 
is I think the only way that makes sense, even though first contact is still a few decades away. And of course there's a war, a global nuclear war in between. Maybe they will like kind of explain all that in two episodes, but I'm not sure they're going to. No. So. Cause I feel like we would have started already. Yeah. Yeah. We would have begun that. Um, and I, again, I have to ask the same question about the queen that I asked about Q before, which is why does the queen need Sung to destroy Picard when she could just kill him? Just like Q could. Like, he's just a dude, man. There's something interesting she said. I can get you face to face with him in a matter of minutes, which we assume is a transporter. And then she says, I could also provide you with the appropriate means to dispose of him. So I'm wondering whether... Because, yeah, I mean, she could just kill him or give him a gun, you know, but maybe there's something special. Maybe she wants to assimilate him, I think. Maybe re-assimilating him is part of her plan to turn him back into Locutus. Maybe. And so the appropriate means are nanoprobes. Right. And she's got control of the transporters. It could be that as... Locutus or a former Locutus, he has information she wants. But then why does she need Song? It's the same question. Well, because they're splitting up uh, because she's got to go to France to get the ship with her team of bad guys. And I guess she's got to stay with them. Maybe her assimilation only works in close proximity. Could be one of the limitations. So... She's on, you know, the assault team and Sung's job is to dispatch Picard. Well, but she still needs Picard. If she needs Picard, she needs Picard. Yeah, but maybe she doesn't need him as much as she needs the ship. She needs <laughs> okay. the ship a lot. Okay, she needs, because- yeah. Well, anyway, we'll see. Again, it's sort of just the same problem as the, it's one of those things where if we knew more, it would be easier to attach all these details to something. Yes. I think that's basically it. You know, we, you know, it's another episode connecting us to another episode. I can't ever imagine saying, hey, you know, like a year from now, I'm going to watch Mercy. You yeah. Know? <laughs> no one will ever do that. And that's true for a lot of serialized things. But I could imagine watching episode two of this season just just to, you know, just for fun to just watch it again. And the first watch. two, I think. Yeah, either of the first two, you know, as a standalone. Um, but Pretty much every episode after that, no. Even though there was some good stuff in there. So you could just skip ahead. There was the one um line I did like in this one was when he when Wells separates Guinan and Picard, he says to Guinan, I'm gonna focus on your uncle. <laughs> yeah, did she say uncle? <laughs> I don't know. It was a little random, but I liked it. She had a funny line. She said, I'm sensitive to the space-time continuum. I'm not a clock. I'm not a clock. I like that, too. But even the contrivance of, like, they put her in another room, and then I thought we'd be cutting back and forth and someone would be talking to her, but nobody was talking to her. And And then she and Picard were back together again in the room alone. Obviously, they didn't want to do a scene with Stuart and Q for some reason. You know, with Picard and Q. Right. Because they want to kind of build up to maybe their final showdown or their, you know, final reconciliation in the finale. Perhaps. Yeah, no, I assume that earlier on. Definitely. I think they're holding off on that. But I just again, it was just clunky. It was a little clunky because she was taken out for a reason that we didn't see. We saw we know the story reason from the writers that she was taken out, but there didn't seem to be a a reason particularly because they didn't do anything with that. And then they were reunited without any explanation. They were suddenly by themselves again in that room together. There was a bit of a callback when he first sees her, he goes, you. Yeah. And it was just like in Q who when he sees her. Yep. Except the, the other, her, I, what I do like about, Guinan in this episode, and we got a piece of this in the last episode, is Picard is rubbing off on her. So the first time we met her, and she was basically, you all suck, this planet sucks, humans suck. And now she's kind of on Team Human again. She's remembering why she liked humans and, you know, why she hung out with Mark Twain, perhaps. 
you know, she's getting more, she's smiling, she's laughing, she's making jokes. She's becoming more Guinan-y. Because when we first met her, I said, I don't know how I feel about this character, but I hope she's going somewhere because otherwise this is not good. And so I'm glad it went somewhere. So I have to give them props for that. Yeah, and she's seeing that humans are capable of of growth and evolution, which is the ultimate Star Trek message. And in my mind, always was the most important premise of Star Trek, which is that not only, yes, we have technology, it's the future, we've learned things, but we've also tried to evolve and be better people in the world of Star Trek. And she talks about how unique that is. And that's part of the reason I always love the show. Right. I mean, the whole point of Star Trek, if anything, is about a message of hope and optimism. And I feel like that was mostly missing from season one. Season two has been better at that. And this episode was a good example of that, of imbuing itself with the, the main theme of Star Trek. Amidst all this flotsam and jetsam. Yes. <laughs> space flotsam and space jetsam, but not in space. <laughs> So I think we're done with this episode. Let's move on to talk about our bits of the week. Mine comes from our friends at NASA who sent out a press release about how they're using this technology called holoporting, where they create a, a 3D holographic image on the ISS. And they sent up this image of a flight surgeon and some other people as a kind of test. And as soon as the flight surgeon showed up, he did the Vulcan salute, which was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, but eventually this is, you know, for them to, this, to do this on a regular basis to create these kind of holographic images on the space station and back at NASA so that they could use this as a better form of communication and telepresence. And I love that it was a holographic doctor. Yes, indeed. That was perfect. <laughs> yeah, that was a great story. That was an exciting, fun one to read. And eventually, after the session was over, he said, now can someone turn me off? Right. <laughs> Please state the nature of the medical emergency. <laughs> that would have been a good greeting as well. <laughs> but he gets bonus points for the Vulcan salute. Indeed. What's your bit of the week? So mine is a reminder to people. So today is, we're recording on April 20th. It happens to be the, well, it's the birthday of a lot of Star Trek people, actually, like George Takei and Clint Howard, Ian Alexander, all these people. It's also Noah Averbeck Katz, who was on Star Trek Discovery with his lovely wife, Mary Wiseman. Um, And we had them on our podcast last, I think it was around this time last year. And just in case you're new to our podcast, um, we, we, had a bunch of interviews before and those two we had them on together and it's one of my all-time favorite episodes that we've done they were literally smashed cheek to cheek because i think they were sharing earbuds yes Um, and a microphone yes and a microphone so they were literally their faces squished together not that we could see them um and they were just so funny the energy of that podcast was so good they were making us both laugh it was it was just very entertaining so we're going to put up a link just for anyone who hasn't heard that one to go back and have a listen because it's pretty delightful. Yeah, it was it was one of my favorites. It's worth a re-listen yeah. or a new listen for all you new because uh, we are a growing podcast. So welcome all you new listeners as well. And a reminder, we will have more interviews again when it, you know, at some point we'll be getting more. So, so that's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek. We'll be back next week with the penultimate episode of the second season of Star Trek Picard, a review of that. And then another double episode the week after that, where we will be reviewing the finale of Picard and the premiere of Strange New Worlds. That's exciting. All right. Well, we'll see you next week, folks. 